Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to this special intra-season edition of the Terrifying Lies Podcast. I hope you enjoyed Season 2. I've scheduled Season 3 of Terrifying Lies to premiere on Friday, September 8th. At the moment, I'm busy visiting other realms to collect some new stories for Season 3. However, I do not intend to leave you high and dry with silence over the waves. So, in the meantime, I offer you a few glimpses into this show's unreality from a few different perspectives. For those unfamiliar with the freestyle gargoyles, it is a perpetual experiment that gathers a talented group of musicians and authors to collaborate in an unusual way. A few of my author friends bring their stories to the studio and stand up at the microphone, often in front of a small studio audience, to perform their work. But there is more. I, and a group of the most talented musicians I know, create a haunting soundscape of improvised melody and rhythm to act as a soundtrack for each author's performance. In this episode, two extraordinary individuals join the ranks of the freestyle gargoyles, bringing their own unique narratives to life. I offer the gifted poet, Patrick Murphy. Armed with his evocative words, Patrick takes us on a poetic journey that blurs the line between reality and the macabre. His verses breathe life into the shadows as he channels the spirits that lurk within his mind. You might remember Patrick from other episodes of Terrifying Lies, in which he appeared first as Dr. Victor Frankenstein, then as Professor William Dyer, just back from the Mountains of Madness. But that's not all. I also offer the talented wordsmith Holly Anderson. Holly's skill for weaving unsettling tales stands unparalleled. With her original story, she paints a vivid canvas of terror to lure listeners into a world where nightmares come alive. As the freestyle gargoyles conjure their enchanting melodies and words, prepare yourself for a strictly experimental auditory experience, sometimes chaotic, sometimes beautiful a symphony of darkness where each note whispers secrets and each word unleashes dread. So, my dear friends, brace yourselves. The freestyle gargoyles are about to take flight, accompanied with your guides, Patrick Murphy and Holly Anderson. Let their darkness embrace you. <laughs> Introducing the Freestyle Gargoyles, featuring Patrick Murphy.
How it all started, no one knew or said. But one summer morn, it walked into town, right down Main Street, despite being quite dead. Like a drunkard, stumbling and falling down, it stank like the grave and flies buzzed around. As blood-red worms writhed and fell from within, it shambled, it groaned, and there was no doubt that this was, in the eyes of God, a sin. And old Ed Taggart approached it to see if it was some kid's elaborate hoax. Ed got up close, but when he turned to flee, a bony hand quickly tore out his throat. It crouched down and, as if to quell its pains, cracked old Ed's skull and feasted on his brains. Sheriff Tate drew his gun and yelled, Step back with your hands in the air, you're under arrest. The thing stood up with and motioned for attack. A warning shot went, and one hit its chest. Flesh bits flew, but it continued unfazed despite the dead shot. It suffered no harm. Struck with disbelief, the sheriff stood dazed, and the damn thing lunged and took and bit Tate's left arm. Red blood flowed free as Tate let out a cry and kicked the thing back. Now filled with rancor, Tate shot again. This time he hit its eye. It fell back limp and the thing moved no more. But three hours later, poor Tate was dead. And soon after that, he rose from his bed. Life in death is a thing that should not be. The mysteries of the worm must stay hidden. Yet reality gave testimony, nature's revolt brought forth the forbidden. From mortal eyes we construct our bleak world with constants and beliefs both learned and bred. But what we knew has become ripped, unfurled, because in this strange eon, death is dead. I witnessed the moment of violence, but disbelieved the transformation. The stark, deafening chaos of silence was hushed by a dark, realization we knew we had to prepare for the worst on the horizon came more like the first a pale horse rides freely through the wasteland mankind falls in a dead revolution of pestilence spread by doom's final hand this end is damned by our own pollution. The mouth of death spews locust across this rotting metropolitan catacomb. 
inviting the fetid hordes through the abyss of restless slumber, searching, reaching home. I find you and hold you and give you hope of redemption and words of a bright dawn to find an end to profane misanthrope. When spring will bring the rains to wash foregone. Run to where in our fate elsewhere is lost to redemption's necrotic holocaust. Frantically working with hammer and nails to reinforce windows and doors with boards, busted up tables, cupboards, bookshelves. Between the cracks came reaching hands of hordes, fetid, stretching a hundred profane claws between wooden splinters and broken glass. Wanting, yearning to get inside because they are driven to feast upon our flesh. Pounding, mindless, relentless in their dirge. Abruptly, the door buckled, cracked, and fell. Dead things entered like a great tidal surge with eyes reflecting a hunger to quell. They came, voiceless and mindless, mouth agape. We ran down the stairs, our only escape. The cellar is a cold, concrete prison. Dark, dank, doom. Finding ourselves captive of deceased things without mind, without reason. Their footfalls, soft sound on the floor above. Shambling, scraping, searching for the living. Envious, post-mortis, craving the flesh. Searching, always taking, never giving. To hush and satiate the pain of death. Would you kill me if I was one of them? Your question, simple, strange, I cannot answer. A single tear falls and you ask again, will you free me? You hand me a hammer. You roll up your sleeve and show me the bite, then ask me to do it, to make things right. You lay dead on the slab, chained, convulsing, a promise broken, a promise to keep I raise the hammer, my heart is pulsing to send you into the eternal sleep. If I were stronger, I would set you free. 
If you were stronger, I could bring an end. A lovely flower is all I can see. So I am not stronger, my love, my friend. I find the wound, pause, pray, and drink your blood. As I never said, I wouldn't join thee. Pain comes in waves, life lost. I feel the flood in my last grasp moment. I set you free. Hand in hand, we give in to the cold blight. Together, from the tomb into the night. Shall I compare thee to a rotting corpse? Methinks thou art more shambling in thy gait. With every day your frame festers and warps, yet you continue in this undead state. Through the hills a cemetery bell rings from the crimson dawn where death brings rebirth. And as the dead roam, Satan's chorus sings, when hell is full, the dead shall walk the earth. But thy eternal damnation infests the memory of what in life you were. These shall not come to me for sustenance. On my brains satisfy not thine hunger. As long as coffins gape and dead eyes see, so long as this, as death, gives life to thee. This has been the Freestyle Gargoyles, featuring Patrick Murphy. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies podcast. Introducing the Freestyle Gargoyles, featuring Holly Anderson.
man shuffled into the alley and over to the dumpster. He was obviously homeless. What with his tattered clothing, filthy gym bag stuffed full of all of his remaining earthly possessions, and the smell. The odor of months, maybe years, worth of dirt, grime, and body odor. It bothered him at first, the odor, but he'd gotten used to it. Didn't even notice it now. He ran his arid tongue across the scant number of teeth he had left. The slime of unbrushed teeth still troubled him after all these years. And he'd found out recently it was really hard to eat without most of your teeth. He'd managed to keep most of them up until last month. He didn't like thinking about the three men, or boys, they could have been boys, that had attacked him as he slept under the bridge. A couple of kicks to the face was all it took. He now was down to only six teeth. He poked the tip of his tongue into the holes in his gums, wincing as it hit the jagged remains of a molar. He deserved it. He deserved to live like this. Deep down in his heart, he knew that. What he'd done, that horrible, terrible, unforgivable thing he'd done, he deserved much worse. The slamming dumpster lid was sure to bring attention to him, attention in the form of trouble, but he didn't care. All he cared about right at that moment was getting those thoughts, those memories, out of his head. He pulled on his knotted hair, the pain not nearly enough to abolish his thoughts. He drove his head into the rough brick of the wall hard enough to cause a wave of blackness to overcome him for a few seconds but not hard enough to end his suffering, if even for a brief time. He deserved to suffer. That's the only thing that kept him from jumping off a building to end it all. He slumped to the ground, blood dripping down his face from the cut on his forehead, dripping into his gray, matted beard. The flood of memories was too much this time. He had no reserves with which to fight it off. He curled into a stiff ball and wept as images from that most awful day bombarded him. He hadn't been in a hurry. He knew how dangerous the big dump truck could be to others on the road. And he always drove with extra care when operating the behemoth on the streets. This day was no different. He was driving down a residential street headed to the end where a house was under construction. The speed limit was 25 miles per hour on this street. And he was cautious, driving between 15 and 20 miles per hour. He looked down at the paper sitting next to him to confirm the address. That moment of distraction, that was the single biggest mistake of his entire life. In fact, all other mistakes added together didn't even come close to matching this one gigantic mistake. The dog, why couldn't it have been the dog? This thought haunted him every waking hour and most sleeping hours. He looked up from the paper just in time to see the dog dart in front of him. He hit his brakes, but stopping a six-ton vehicle, even a slow-moving one, took a lot of real estate. The dog, the stupid dog made it across without a scratch. But the little girl, oh, the beautiful little six-year-old girl had chased her stupid dog into the street, and she wasn't so lucky. He trembled, his heart nearly exploding with each rapid beat as he exited the cab of the truck. For a moment, the last moment he'd ever feel any hope again, he thought he'd somehow missed her. Then he saw her arm, so tiny, hanging out of the front wheel well. Oh no, oh please no, he yelled as he went to his knees beside the huge tire. He wished he wouldn't have looked, wished with every fiber of his being, but he did. And some things can't be unseen. They burn painfully into every synapse of your brain and they never go away. The girl, the precious little blonde-headed girl just two years younger than his own granddaughter, had been rolled up into the wheel well when the tire ran over her. She was torn apart, her body was torn apart. He vomited. 
The scream started then, her mother, her poor mother. She screamed as she tried to pull her daughter free, succeeding only in pulling parts of her daughter free. He must have been in shock when he stood and started jogging down the street, yelling for help, yelling for someone, anyone, to save the little girl, even though he knew there was no saving her. He cried for days without stopping after that. His wife and kids and friends and strangers all told him it wasn't his fault. It was an accident. The police didn't charge him with anything. It was an accident, they too said. His family tried to help him. He couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. He refused to drive. He would never get behind the wheel of any vehicle ever again. The sadness, the anger, the inability to interact with anyone, especially his loved ones, drove them all away. Finally, they all just let him alone. He was no better after a year. He was no better after two years. It took its toll on his wife, and when he saw the negative effects he was having on her, he left. He was sure she and the kids had searched for him for a while. He was just as sure that they'd given up on that search a decade or more ago. He opened his eyes when he felt something against his face. It was a stray dog licking the tears from his cheeks. When he looked at the animal, he didn't see the mangy street dog. Instead, he saw the little girl's dog, and he saw rage. The dog yelped as he grabbed it and flung it into the side of the brick building. Kicking the motionless dog, he screamed over and over, stupid dog, stupid evil dog. He screamed until his voice no longer worked. And then he slumped to the ground, unseeing, unmoving, unfeeling. Finally, his mind fractured into a million pieces, and he was able to rest in his insanity. This has been the Freestyle Gargoyles featuring Holly Anderson. Thank you for tuning in to this special intra-season edition of Terrifying Lies. I hope you enjoyed your visit to the dark recesses of imagination that can only be offered by the Freestyle Gargoyles experiment. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on a player application of your choice. Until next time, I bid you sweet dreams, or should I say, sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please, come again. You're welcome here. (laughs) 